Welcome to Shane Watch, a guilt-free dive into those massive movie failures that we hate to love. Each week, we look at the movie that either we or our guests love, but society shames them for. We peek into each nook and cranny for every bright spot, keeping the public at bay while watching these movies like the miracles that they are. And today, we're still walking in during the day with Killing Vampires with one of our favorite vampire hunters, Blade. My name is Aaron Salinas. You might notice that it's not uh, James popping in this one. He's uh, he's doing some camping. He's taking social distancing to its ultimate. Um, and he's uh, he's dearly missed here. Uh, but I'm Aaron Salinas, editor uh, and uh, all-around cool guy, I guess. And to my right is Kenny. That's you. Uh, Kenny Madison, chief archivist of flatfilms.com, where we publish a podcast each week. And then we also have other stuff on our Patreon feed. Uh, and right next to me is Olivia Slap and Swatters. I am everybody's favorite co-host, and I am the social media coordinator and thirst trap queen and Deacon Frost's former boo, because he's no longer with us. Rest in power, Deacon Frost. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, today, folks, we uh, it's still we're still chugging along with Snipuli. Uh, trademark. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and uh, we're covering Blade this month. Um, Marvel's firm foundation and uh, jump off into cinematic uh, at first cinematic relevance now cinematic dominance up to this point. Oh, um, that's good. Uh, and- you m- Make sure that those levels peak whenever you say that. That's good. <laughs> And uh, it could not be done without uh, Wesley Snipes' Blade. Facts. So we're uh, we're uh, we're starting off with a. If you're listening now, it's a lot better, and it's more uh, the continuity sticks if you start with uh, with Blades. So but go ahead, pop over to last week's episode, take a listen to that. There's some good juicy bits. But now we're talking about uh, Blade Two, y'all. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk. All right. Guillermo del Toro is the director. Oh, do you like Aaron? Do you like Guillermo del Toro? Right away, we know this is my favorite Blade movie. (laughs) (laughs) And and I will say, uh, I mean, the ranking isn't that difficult because there's only three, but uh, Blade 2 is tops. Not by much, though. I'll be real um, because I really love Blade. I think Blade is a great film. But but Blade 2 kind of just slips in there more just because... You got those little sprinkles of Del Toro in there, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Del Toro sprinkles. Are you? I had, I just had no idea that you liked Del Toro. Oh my gosh! Is this the guy who directed Grinding Nemo? <laughs> oh, amazing! Oh, Aaron, you need to put this on your listing for this week. You need to put this on your listing for this week. Aaron, get your notebook ready. You need to put this on your listing for this week. Aaron, Give it to me. All right, here we go. Here we go. Aaron, are you ready? I think I've talked yeah. about the podcast before. But if you haven't listened to this, especially you need to listen to this, uh, the podcast Best Movies Never Made, talking about Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness, which I believe he, like, within the past week made a statement saying he still wants to make this movie. Um, they read snippets of the actual screenplay on the podcast itself. I think it's a two-part episode. Uh, it's it's a two-parter. Um, but they just talk about 
one of Guillermo del Toro's never made movies as of yet. Like he even had the backing of James Cameron on this movie. Uh, and they were like, no, don't, don't want you to do this. It's Is it because it's Lovecraft and they're scared of Lovecraft? I, I think the budget was supposed to be $150 million, uh, which is a steep ask, but at the same time, you've got James Cameron backing you. Uh, this is Del Toro. I think Del Toro has... Well, what, what? Del Toro hasn't exactly always been successful at the box office, Mm-mm. though. Like, he's all critically well-respected, um, but not necessarily a commercial f- filmmaker. He's very much a Fox Searchlight camper. And what I mean by that is it's very niche movies. They're not, you know, huge, you know, blockbuster successes. Uh, the only thing I can think that's remotely close to, to filling those shoes is Pacific Rim. And that one didn't even, it, it, it performed well internationally, but domestically, just not not something that performed that well yeah at all very much a flop here um and only got a sequel just because of international stuff and even then del toro was kind of booted off of it even though it's his baby like he's on the record of going they did not make the pacific rim too that i wanted to see and whenever Guillermo del Toro is upset, you know, you've kind of done something wrong because he seems like well, he's Totoro. And he's, he's Totoro. Yeah. Like he's, and, and I mean this with all the love and respect in the world, he's too weird for commercial success. But he, he frequently goes to commercial stuff. Um, and I, I think is quite good at it. Yeah, Olivia, what's your take on Del Toro? I like him. I think he's a cinematic anomaly. And um, I liked The Shape of Water. I thought it was weird. <laughs> um, not just because, you know, Grinding Nemo, but I thought it was really just very endearing. Was it your typical romance? No. You know, does this mean, like, I am more open to dating fishmen? No. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it was a hot fish, like, you know, you could tell he was ripped, and you wanted you wanted so much for the main character, uh, played by Sally Hawkins, who I thought it was just amazing that they, they showcased a main character. Uh, they want, you know, his film centered on a character who was mute. I thought that was so beautiful. Um, yeah. So I've, I haven't seen too many of his films to, like, be a total expert, but I really appreciate the risks he takes in his films. And plus, I also love his his friendship with Alfonso Cuaron. Right, so. that that little that little Rat Pack that they have together. Yes, so and then in Yaritu, yeah, like it's just so cute. Like, um, <laughs> I think the best way to describe the way people per- receive Del Toro's film is how my dad was talking about Shape of Water um, a while back. Um, cause he'll, he likes to go down the list of the ones that are coming out for best picture, make sure that he sees them all. And he was talking with my aunt one time. She was like, junior, have you seen, heard of that shape of water movie? And my dad was like, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. 
And she was like, it's just so weird. Like, it's like a fish man and like they fall in love. And my dad was like, yeah, and it's fucking beautiful and it's probably going to win an Oscar or two. Like that. <laughs> it actively upsets me whenever I see people go, of course, The Shape of Water would win Best Picture. It's such a cliche movie. But like, it's, 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 a, it's a straight up genre movie about a fish man. <laughs> a, hot, a hot fish man. And it love love takes all forms, and so it shows that you know people who can't speak, you know, they can still find love and showcase their love. And fish people, you know, they they deserve love too. Damn it! I will die on this hill. <laughs> he fish man snack. He fish man. Snack. Who played the fish man? Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Oh wait, I don't know. Wait, you you know him if you. <laughs> okay, a, a note for the audio. I am googling. He plays yes, uh, the Baron in what we do in the shadows, the TV show. Oh, 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 oh yes, 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 yes. Oh, he, he hilarious! Also, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he them. also plays uh, the Zo- I forget his name. I'm sorry. Uh, Hocus Pocus. Um, the Zomb. Is, yeah. does, is it Thackeray? No, it's not Thackeray. Oh my gosh! Apparently, he's a contortionist and a mime. Uh, everybody, shut the fuck up! And most importantly, he plays Commander Saru in Star Trek. Discovery. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I was on his Wikipedia. He's he he's a Kelpian. We have no choice but to stand. He Doug- man snack. Doug Jones, come on the pod. We have so many questions. Fishman. I do. <laughs> I genuinely do. Like, how does it feel to be one of the most famous people to never be seen? How, like, how does it feel to be hired for roles where when they put makeup on you, you look normal? And hot. Because that's, he's, I, it's in some interview or, or something where he specific, they specifically go, oh yeah, because I'm so thin, whenever they put appliances on me, my proportions become normal. Yeah, like that—that's the uh, <laughs> truth. Like, like in Hellboy, whenever he plays uh, Abe, like when they put those materials on him, the applications, you're like, "Oh, that's just a healthy human being." Yeah. Well, no, there's at least three inches of latex. He's just so thin. Yeah, because he fish man snack. Yeah, but um, but Doug also- Jones is not in Blade Two. No, he's not. I mean, we wish he was. Got to be in Blade Two somewhere. Maybe he'll be in Blade Two and a half. Maybe, (laughs) like, like Timon and the Timon and Pumbaa credit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there are some fan favorites of Del Toro's in here. We got Ron Perlman. Um, We not the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC manager. (laughs) Thank you, Olivia, for the clarification. Um, what's his name? Uh, Luke Goss is in here as well. Uh, he played the prince in Golden Army f- uh, for Hellboy 2. Um, so lot, lot, lots of yummy bits in here with, with Del Toro. Um, but yeah, this, was, uh, this is an interesting film because one, it's a sequel to a, a D-lister Marvel character. Um, and uh, they, I think they took a big risk with going with Del Toro. I mean, yeah. 
but before we get into, get into that, it's probably important to say that some people thought that this D-list superhero should be on the F list. In a review titled Monsters, Inc. by Mark Holcomb of The Village Voice, published March 26, 2002. Aaron, is everything okay over there? Yeah, it's just, it, the, I like the name. That's a different movie. Sure. It is. I and mean, it's before Monsters, Inc. Yeah. <laughs> uh, returning to pulp territory after the devil's backbone, Mexican director Guillermo del Toro cribs from his earlier work in an attempt to breathe life into Blade Two, a sequel to the 1998 Marvel Comics-inspired potboiler. The titular vampire-hunting hybrid Wesley Snipes, who still delivers his lines like he's chewing a mouthful of Old Testament, is now living in Prague with a new and eventually the resurrected old one, Chris Christofferson. The trio forms an uneasy alliance with an elite vampire militia to track down and exterminate a mutant strain of bloodsuckers called Reapers, or as conveniently adept as kung fu acrobatics as their more evolved brethren. The team infiltrates the undead subculture, which looks like a Pepsi commercial shot in an S&M club, and confronts the mosquito-like creatures in their subterranean lair. There are several double crosses, a few telegraph plot twists, and a dozen changes of fetish wear before the final confrontation. Screener David S. Goyer's one Omega Man on steroids premise inflates every well-worn trope of the genre and even drags in a few contemporary hot buttons, mutating viruses, drug addiction, genetic engineering, and, fleetingly, race hatred. But effective horror, as Del Toro seems to have grasped elsewhere, tends to rely on the abasement of deeply held values, not the antics of cardboard cutout ghouls or vague headline-inspired jitters. The only thing Blade 2 values is its ability to deliver a staggering body count. Del Toro's overripe style may fit the film's comic book milieu to a T, but the only dread it inspires is in the possibility that its director prefers turning human flesh into CGI-enhanced mush over exploring genuinely frightening material. Dang. <sighs> uh, for the what I... Crying <laughs> waterfalls. So sorry to say anything unkind about uh, Mr. Del Toro. I know. He, did, he didn't need that because, I mean, the, the man... Like let just let him let him do his thing. Yeah. Let, him, let him do his weird shit, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, do do that. Uh, yeah. Um, what what I do like about this film is it really does seem like Goyer came with the script, and and Del Toro was like, "Well, what if we added this?" And Goyer was like, "That's weird, but I kind of I'm, I'm okay with it." And then they just put it in, and like it does seem like a beautiful meld of Del Toro and Goyer. Like I, I can see their voice and hear their voice throughout the film, mm. because with Goyer you have that longevity world building throughout the film that that you know is comic book movies at this point. And with Del Toro, it's just those weird like. And what's interesting is the the Reaper um, image. Of you know the jaw the the unhinged jaw that opens oh, up. No, <laughs> no. It's so good. Every, it's so good every time. Yeah, like it's it's the predator jaw. In other words, like from Predator. It it's weird. It's gross. But that's a that's that's Norwegian folklore of vampires. If I'm not mistaken, that was their idea that it was more of like a little tooth that like 
like a mosquito that 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 sucked out the blood, not the individual teeth. So it was, you know, Del Toro took inspiration from that and then just put a predator on top of it. So like he's utilizing different things. Um, like he, he the the man does his his history and like you know that's what vampires look like to some cultures. So I think that's I think that's cool. I will admit if if you looked at the first big fight in the movie. You're like, God, this sucks. <laughs> sucks. <laughs> like, it's the, the, ah. but what I will say, the, what, what I've heard it described as the wire foo, the kung fu on, on wires and stuff that they call it, was mm-hmm. Donnie Yen's choreography. Awesome. Like, standing. I was so surprised to see Donnie Yen in this movie. Who is Donnie Yen for people uh, like Snowman. myself? Oh, okay. A uh, guy with the katana. Um, okay. Oh, nice. That's cool. Uh, he was also in uh, Rogue One. Oh, really? Yeah, I am the Force. The Force is with me. <gasps> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay, it's it's cue Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> like that's that's amazing. Yeah, Donnie Yen is. Uh, he's an alpha, so they did say it was a little weird when. When he would recommend choreography and Wesley Snipes was in the room. To be a fly on the wall. Right? Like when I heard that, I was like, oh God, if I could have been there. Like <laughs> Um But yeah, so I, I do see where the uh the critic is coming from, especially in those first few minutes. It is it's it's weird, like especially if you didn't watch the first blade, you're coming to this like, why is this old man in red wine hooked up to tubes and yeah why is wesley snipes always in leather and is who's this kid with long greasy hair that's always smoking and watching cartoons like norman reedus yes it's it's a weird movie structurally because the first 30 minutes dedicates most of its runtime not necessarily to the active plot but to trying to get whistler back to being a character who's not jeff bridges not jeff bridges uh there was a little bit of confusion that he was the grand canyon i cleared that up my my mistake thanks that's just his face (laughs) i have a question though okay so when we get that old when okay no (laughs) when we get to the plot which is you know trying to you know blade is essentially paired up with the this group of elite vampires who are programmed to kill him at any moment but to go ahead and try to fight this other you know new group of vampires called the reapers um i just i i couldn't help but think wasn't like did stephanie meyer when she was writing eclipse did she get influence from blade 2 because if you will recall in that movie in that book basically victoria uh bryce dallas howard in eclipse is basically she played victoria in eclipse yeah okay but for the listeners she bites this guy named Riley, and then Riley is tasked with biting all of these humans to create, like, a new breed of newborn vampires, you know? So I, I just couldn't help but make that comparison. I mean, 
Stephanie Del Meyer. T- Del Toro's a trendsetter. Stephanie Meyer. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I would not be surprised. Also, I would not want to make out with the Reaper because I just, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with all that. Like, flip <laughs> action. It, it yeah. would be too much. And this is coming from somebody who has very full lips. Like, it'd be, t- it'd be too much. Like, I just, yeah. Um, I do have a question though. Um, do we know why uh, Nimbusha Wright was not in this movie? More than likely because they didn't need a surrogate character to be in the movie at all. Okay. Just you needed that character to get into the world of Blade, and now mm-hmm. it's well, so just throw her away, which is unfortunate. I know, I yeah. missed her. Uh, at the same time, like going back to the parallels with the 89 Batman movie, Batman Returns, there's no Vicky Vale in Batman. Yeah. Returns. Uh, instead, we just kind of get to, well, in Batman Returns, you're with Batman even less. Uh, this movie, you know what the world is. Uh, yeah. Um, also, what I think um, could have been a reason is. I believe Nisa was supposed to be a serious love interest, um, oh, sex scene nice. and everything. And so, which is weird that Blade has sex. I don't know why that's weird to me. Um, <clears throat> but uh, what they could have been going is that could have just added an extra layer that wasn't necessary with Thanks. having the Boucher right, even though we all said, is it going to happen or won't it happen? Um, but it never happened. So you're just kind of led to believe like, oh, they're not, you know, you're not romantically interested in each other. And then with, because if I'm not mistaken, the Nisa blade uh, sex scene was kind of pulled last minute. Like, I think it was after a couple of screen tests that they decided to opt out of it. I could see Um, why they like, I I thought that was coming at some point. Yeah. Like it it does. So like, maybe that was like, so like whenever they were casting and doing everything, they're like, yeah, there's no need for Nabouche just because we're looking at going with a love interest. For Blade, and we're just we acknowledge that that was a uh, a helper in his time when he needed it, kind of thing. So maybe they like gotcha. from the beginning they just weren't going with it. But um, yeah, so uh, we we've talked about the 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 elite vampire hunters. We talked about Donnie Yen, but there's another there's another uh, Del Toro f- uh, fun face we got in there, Ron Perlman. <laughs> anybody uh, anybody else love Ron Perlman? I mean, I, I he's the best. Oh God, he's so good. <laughs> he's the best. He's sass incarnate. <laughs> he's a God, grumpy cat. He's God. I appreciate the sass, man. Like it's so good. His online presence, just like uh, it's, it's outstanding. Because every reply from anyone that disagrees is basically "fuck you." <laughs> it's so that's literally his tweets. <laughs> I was just kind of wishing you a good day. Fuck off. Get out of here with that! I know you. That's basically. That. I I admire I admire that attitude though, because like that's like when you know a guy that I don't find attractive tries to slide in my DMs, and I'm just like, no, leave me alone, <laughs> fuck off, fuck off. Like that's, that's all you can do. Like they're not gonna listen. They're not. They're going to be that low. And funny enough, um, as better be funny. As kind and well, no, not to say that it's not going to be funny, but uh, as as kind and as loving as this man is, yeah. uh, he was supposed to play a Nazi in this movie. 
Sure. The original film was supposed to have uh, Reinhardt play a Nazi character, a Nazi um, that only spoke German. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, that tracks because Del Toro, you know, he talks about the uh, he he's dealt with a few movies with with World War Two and Nazis and Nazi symbolism before. Like uh, Hellboy has is surrounded by um, Nazi symbolism. Um, we also have uh, the Spanish Civil War, which kind of took place around World War Two as well, yeah. uh, with Pan's Labyrinth. Um, but yeah, so it's not my favorite Ron Perlman character. This this one might be third because uh, Hannibal Chow is my first one from Pacific Rim. Oh, and his, his favorite character from his favorite person from his second favorite fa- uh, Chinese restaurant. <laughs> it's so it's such a fun character. Outstanding. And uh, Hellboy is, is second after that, and then uh, Reinhardt. Um, but yeah, he's a. Uh, but yeah, you could tell there were supposed to be like racial undertones um, with his character as well. Uh, in this one is because uh, when Reinhardt uh, asks him, asks Wesley Snipe, "Do you blush?" Um, apparently, that was a racial incident that Wesley Snipe actually had that he told oh. them to put it in the movie. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, apparently that was something like, I guess it, it was saying that, you know, racism is all around. Even superheroes are facing it, so to speak. Where, where is Del Toro at in his career at this point, Aaron? Um, at this point, if I'm not mistaken, um, he, he's still kind of that weird guy. Uh, without a doubt, he um, Kronos is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellboy came out in two thousand four. I'm assuming so he's Del Toro's entire oeuvre. Yes. Uh, well, actually, okay, I that I lied. I have not seen Antlers. That that's not directed by him, though. Yeah, it's just another uh, producer. Uh, but anything that has his name, I do my best to watch it. So, um, at this point, he's done uh, Kronos, Devil's Backbone. Because this came out in 2002? Yeah, apparently it came out months before Spider-Man 2. Like a couple mm-hmm. the Spider-Man 2 came out in May of 2002, and the world exploded. Uh, and and that's when superhero movies were back because that movie made like it, it shattered the box office that weekend. I remember that. Um, yeah, so he he doesn't have a ton. He's definitely word of mouth, behind the scenes, small guy. Um, Kronos, he uh, uh, Dona Linda and her son was in the eighties. Mm. Um, Bullfighter as well. So he, he's coming into his own. Yeah. Um, he's definitely not um, anywhere of where he is trust-wise, I think. Yeah. Um, he, he's just known as that guy with a weird eye for cinema. Because he does these super tiny, or what seems to be tiny, but outrageously atmospheric horror films in Mexico. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then he comes to play ball 
in the American studios with, I think it's Mimic. Yeah. And has just the worst time on that because it's the Weinsteins. Uh, And just undercut him at all turns. He goes to do, what is it? Devil's Backbone? Mm -hmm. After that, to cleanse the palate because Mimic is just not his vision. And then comes back into the studio system with this thing. And then from there, it's off to the races for Del Toro making American films. Yeah, it's because uh, in growing up, what he he liked doing makeup. So he did makeup on a lot of studio shorts in Mexico. And he started dabbling there, uh, directing some short films. Starts making a jump in other places, doing storyboard material. And then... Uh, Kronos and Devil's Backbone or Kronos is kind of what's like, hey, he's got some footing. Mimic the Weinstein. Make life living hell for him. Then dips his toe into Blade and to me Blade 2 kind of solidifies like hey it's weird but he does it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was gross. Um, yeah. I, will, I will tell you I, I couldn't fully enjoy the last part of the movie because it started getting kind of gory, but I respected it. And uh, for a note for the audio, if you want to see that clip, I'll pin it to our Instagram highlights and yeah, you can check it out. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, he, I, I totally bought into the world that he created. I think it was just very, it was very well done. And, and Jared Nomack, like his makeup, was really good. The vision for him. We stand a Jared. We do. I mean, he went to Jared. Um, <laughs> it, it can only be. Yeah. Um, Jared's come on the pod. Um, also, Jared Nomack, who who plays Jared Nomack? If I'm not uh, Luke Goss. Luke Goss, come on the pod. We'd love to. But yeah, I, I totally bought into the, and, into the world that Del Toro um that he created you could just tell it, it wasn't it wasn't like cheap looking i don't know that's just my it's definitely a, a visual step above the first movie which was made on the cheap uh aaron what was the budget for this movie uh budget for blade two need it please hold holding uh the budget was 54 that's uh, yeah, oh 54, 54 mil opening weekend, 32, uh, domestic 82 and a worldwide of 155. Nice. Wow. That's a nice chunk of change for this movie. It looks so much better than the first one. Yes. The, you could, you could tell when they were dabbling with CG and live, you know, mixing, it didn't look too hot, but it's 2002. You can't get mad but for 2002. I know a lot of people were like, Whoa, that looked good. But like at the same time, it it looks kind of rough, especially some of the wire fight scenes. But I feel like Del Toro knows how to. uh, Maybe this could just be me being overly optimistic, but I feel like he knows how to stretch a budget and make something look really good. Like I know, I I I think Hellboy was made for around seventy million, and that looks massive. Um, Yeah, it's a huge. I mean, it goes from period piece to to genre film like it's very all over the place Grant 70 million back in 2003 2004 was a lot more money back then but still uh like comparatively 
X2, X-Men United, was made for like $110, $120 million. Uh, God damn. Yeah. That's... Um, but yeah, so this... It was a pretty decent chunk of change, and I think Del Toro is kind of used to to being giving a given a low budget fi- low budget, and he just makes it work because because he does what I like about what he does is he does a lot with very little, and the, what I see there, um, I do like it when he bites down, like in the very beginning, you can tell you're in a different vampire movie when he he bites the person and all of a sudden there's blood all over the wall yeah like this isn't a vampire movie i've seen before yeah Yeah, it was just i mean i just the whole time like the parts that i could see i was just like i would i could just hear like the explosions or whatever and i'm like okay i know that vampire died (laughs) <laughs> okay, that looks gross. And then when they were cutting open that one reaper who died of thirst, oh, and they were like, "That was so cool." <laughs> I just—I mean, I, I thought that was cool. Like, did I watch all of that scene? No, but um, just the, them making that discovery of like, hey, there's bone that's like covering the front of the heart, and it just gives you like detail as to like you know why when like blade is trying to kill jared like he's trying to do so from the side it's just little it's just details like that i thought were so yeah doubling down on the science of these things like oh yeah no of course this for some reason this is why the biology of these things would work it's oh it's so good it's it's so good uh 10 out of five stars (laughs) And I will say, Olivia, don't don't worry. I'm not. I'm honestly, and it's weird that I like these movies because I'm not a scary movie kind of guy. It, it's not my forte. Um, I don't mind gore. It, it doesn't bug me too much. Um, but but I'm not a scary movie guy. As Duran, when he took me to go watch one of the Paranormal Activity movies, um, oh I had to rub God. my eyes a lot um, just because I didn't want to watch the scene. So I would do that a lot just yeah. so I could tell. Nor do you like the Wayans Brothers scary movies. Like that's we've established that before, right? Yeah, not a huge fan of those. Not, <laughs> not. Yep. Let's do that. I'm sure that those movies hold up great. <laughs> so oh my gross. gosh, that's so like saying gross. white chicks holds up <laughs> for a big group of people. It sure does. <laughs> it's it's real weird. <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Olivia. Like, cause like, like I said, I'm not not big onto it, but like, the, the science is involved, and there's like some romance, and then there's like betrayal. It's almost like, you know, a Shakespearean take on a weird sci-fi vampire no- Norwegian vampire trope. And I'm like, okay, this is up my alley. I think like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It, I I liked I liked the plot. It was just, yeah, it was. There's just parts, I guess, that I I'm definitely squeam, squeamish. Let's just say that. This is why I yeah. couldn't be a physician. <laughs> I mean, Del Toro likes gross. It, it's kind of clear to see that he likes he likes gross, yucky things. But I think that's just because like it, it's kind of what makes you feel something. Um, and yeah, I I think I don't know why even the the Reaper dying of thirst was really 
well done because it just kind of looked like a you know a hurt lion or something like that the way he was he was moving yet still trying to be domineering like even that was well done that's one of the lovely things about the Toro movies in general like the monsters always have some sort of underlying uh empathy you you have an underlying empathy for these things like i'm thinking about like the big climax of hellboy 2 spoilers well, maybe not the, the big climax, but going into like the third act of Hellboy Two, and they finally defeat the monster, and it turns out like it, it explodes in beautiful flowers that kind of just drip. They they just kind of slowly fall onto the the ground, and it's it's like these aren't monsters; these are clearly misunderstood things. Yeah. Uh, it's I mean Del Toro. <laughs> creates monsters with humanity and it's it's wonderful take the he, fish man for example the hot fish man he fish man snack yeah he, fish has, man snack. he has feelings he just wants to love and be loved so i, I respect that you know J- and jared so, you know he just wanted to find acceptance and approval from his father yeah and and luke goss it's weird this is his He's two for two on Del Toro films where they put him in translucent white clear makeup and he's got daddy issues and in a movie with Ron Perlman. Like it's it's a very weird thing that he's got going on with that. But um, I, I do think and OK, this might not come as a surprise, but uh, about every month or so, I like to listen to Del Toro speeches. No, and, <laughs> I can see that. That's very on brand for you, but like um, in a good way. It, it's just uh, you know we all have hobbies. Yes, um, that's like me and my John Mayer obsession. Yeah, yeah. Like I would have a sweater with Del Toro faces without a doubt. Already um, on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but what he uh, but like I, all of his speeches are great. You know when he get he finally got a uh, on the Walk of Fame. Uh, on in Los Angeles, his you know countless Oscar speeches, um, but one thing that uh, kind of got me with uh, it was I think like after the Golden Globes or one of them, it wasn't the Oscars yet, but they said you have a beautiful way to combine tragedy and love, or you have a great way to combine um, fear and and pride and and love and and countless other things where he battles with duality and uh, without a, without missing a beat, he just goes, that's just how I was raised as being Mexican. We, we see so many different, we appreciate life so much better. And one thing that he said that I just love to this day is that we all board on the same train. Once we are born, we, we board a train that the final destination is death. And it's on this trip that you get to live and love and experience and, and, create relationships because without regardless we're all headed to the same destination it's what you do on this train and i'm like god why did this two minute video make me cry that's a live laugh love but artwork that i would hang on my wall right like <laughs> we, we all board onto the same train for destination death and i'm like and he, he's just saying it with a smile like we're all gonna die just just enjoy the time that you have and experience everything. Experience the tragedy. You know, all monsters have empathy. All monsters, you know, have a humanistic characteristic about themselves. And, and I think he does that really well. 
And the the only thing is I would have because they do show like a little bit of human to Blade in this one, like yeah. where you can tell he's getting a little soft for Nisa. I would have liked a little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, Del Toro was not the uh, auteur that he would become just even a couple of years later. So he's having to contend with a studio who probably certainly wants a movie. Probably certainly. They want this movie to be a certain way. Wesley Snipes, who wants this movie to be a certain way. Uh, David Escoria, who wants the movie a certain way. And I mean, that's kind of why we're doing this series. We're celebrating Wesley Snipes and the fact that he's able to headline this series and be one of the fundamental cornerstones of superhero cinema and the way that it came about. Like like I said before, this is two months before Spider-Man 2 came out. Uh, the three... <laughs> In this period, there have basically been three superhero movies since 1998. Uh, Blade, X-Men, and Blade 2. Like DC doesn't make another <sighs> movie, another theatrical superhero movie until Batman Begins, I think. Dang. Which was Goyer, too. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm learning so much about comic book film adaptation history. Like, honest, honestly, like, just within the last... Um, two episodes just uh, and I wasn't even a big like Marvel super fan so it, it, it's weird to imagine that it's become such a huge part of our culture yeah like it, it's I remember I remember in shoot was it I forget what year it was in high school might have been my sophomore year and uh, my FFA teacher, uh, we were on a trip, and my FFA teacher just kind of, uh, we just started talking about comic book movies. He was like, you know, Avengers is going to change cinema, right? Like, he just dropped it like that, and I was like, what? No, that's like, it's, like, it was still seen, like, in 2010, 2009, that it was going, it's, it's it was like a nerd thing, and I, and that's because I played Dungeons and Dragons and I played, you know, Magic the Gathering and everything like that. And I was like, I don't think it'll have a global takeover like that. Like, nerd things don't do that. And he was like, no, it's going to go to the forefront. It's going to make a lot of money. And little did I know, two years later, it, you know, was a domina dominating force that it is. I mean, it hey, he needs to go on the pod, your FFA teacher. I'd bring him on. Uh, yeah, just double-checked. No other DC comic book movies uh, until after Spider-Man. Uh, and technically, it was Road to Perdition. Uh, and then after that, I think, was Catwoman and Constantine after that. So the DC just... Oh, oh I haven't seen Constantine. Hey, uh, good movie. Uh, I haven't seen it in a hot minute. Uh, but I remember liking it at the time. They've been itching for Del Toro to take on Justice League Dark. Artistically, with Constantine or Swamp Thing. Ooh. He, oh my gosh! What if, what if Hot Fishman like became a part of the Justice League? I mean, I, Swamp Thing. Yeah, or Devil Man. Yeah. Like, Devil Man was an acrobat uh, who, like, died on uh, died doing a stunt, and now he's just like this pale. Doug Jones loves doing that. 
He does. It's uh, true. Pale uh, acrobat who just kind of like flies through walls and stuff now. So it's that sounds it's, like a superhero. <laughs> like a writer had five seconds to come up with something. Cool. Here's your deadline. What is it? Devil man. <laughs> What's his story? He died. Okay. Cool. Oh, how did he die? He is doing a stunt. <laughs> Stunt. He was just doing a stunt. He was just doing a stunt. Okay. I mean, we got to fill up this issue. Go get it. <laughs> get it to print. Get it. Um. Yeah, he died doing a stunt. So I really thought it out. It sounds like a like a small town's like weird, you know, uh, <laughs> eulogy for for their, that crazy guy in touch. Like he died. Doing a stunt, just doing what he loved. Us, <laughs> a stunt. Do you know what stunt it was? Just a stunt. <laughs> just stunting, doing things. Uh, uh, it's good that we can laugh again, guys. Yeah, I missed this. I missed it. Um, speaking of Daredevil, I think in this one they they used Daredevil's tagline, which was uh, "the man with no fear." blade and that kind of pissed people off oh man i need to cover daredevil speaking of taglines blade also says keep your friends close and your enemies closer and i'm like godfather like (laughs) you know and right when he says that scud comes into the background because scud was the enemy in this one yep oh but notice he was he was also watching powerpuff girls like earlier in the movie yeah. <laughs> and uh Norm Reedus, who looks like a baby in this one, was actually thirty-five. What? Yeah, he was like in his mid thirties, I believe, when when he did Blade. Damn. It took me a second to convince myself that that wasn't Eddie Furlong. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh like he <sighs> He's got a very Keanu approach to entertainment, doesn't he? I think so, because I really only have heard of him like from The Walking Dead. I I would say that he, he's uh, far less prolific and, uh, dare I say, adaptable compared mm-hmm. to Keanu, where Keanu has been able to, I guess, well, I guess Norman Reedus has kind of honed his star persona as being kind of the guy from the walking dead so too has keanu been able to hone himself into being the guy from the replacements being able to hone himself someone that knows what his limitations are and being able to maximize them where applicable yeah uh, yeah and because like he's very picky boondock saints and walking dead which i'm surprised he signed on for a, a series um, just cause like, he doesn't seem like a guy that likes to be, uh, tied down, so to speak yeah. to something. Mm-hmm. That's um, a mood. Yeah. What like makes you say that. that. That sounds like some of the guys I've dated. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he just kind of seems like he's very, he wants each project, to, at least from what I've seen, he wants each project to kind of be a, a strong passion project. He wants like good, strong punches. Mm-hmm. Not a series of punches, just a good, strong one. And Walking Dead, which, I mean, 
he probably had never has to work for a day in his life after that, but um, kind of just seems like he wouldn't want to be into something for the long haul. I mean, Walking Dead started off as a passion project from Frank Darabont. Uh, True. I mean, and also Frank Darabont doing a TV show at the time. Huge, huge, huge deal. And that pilot is just uh, perfection. And then just it, the whole thing went downhill so quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the comics, um, those comics I tore through. Comics are great. Anyways, the movie we're talking about is Blade 2, which is based off of comic books. Yes, uh, it's true. Well, where's, where's Wesley in his career at this point? I guess he's just doing the Blade movies. Well, for whatever reason, he wasn't available to, to do much. Oh, that's right. During Blade. What happened? Yeah, what happened, Darren? He Hold on. Let's see what let's see what he's got going on during this. Let's figure it out. Let's see. Here we go. So, here it comes. Aaron going to deliver that true true. Blade. Um, let's see here. Let's see. Here it comes. I actually, I actually typed Blade, not Wesley Snipes. My bad. Because- <laughs> not Blade. The actor is Wesley Snipes. Uh, no, he's actually Blade, Kenny. He's Blade Brooks. <laughs> uh, I finally saw that episode of What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, what'd you think? I mean, it's just lovely. Uh, Wesley Snipes being a day walker in real life. Uh, and his <laughs> Wi-Fi. I'm so charmed. That, that, uh, and then just some of the people in the council, like Tilda Swinton. The fact that Tilda Swinton is playing a vampire named Tilda. <laughs> just, yeah, of course. Um, and then also, like, all of the, like, bringing in Paul Rubens to play a variation of the character that he played in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Like such a deep cut, like, and that's it's so good. That's why I love just the what we do in the shadows universe. It's so outrageously specific. Um, what was it? We actually had uh, we had one of our fans reach out on our posts this past week uh, when we when I mentioned that that Blade was part of like the foundation for the MCU, somebody was asking, well, if that's the case, does that mean Tilda Swinton and the What We Do in the Shadows universe, does that mean <laughs> that they're part of the MCU? Because technically... No, like, Wesley Snipes is playing Wesley Snipes. He's not playing Blade in What We Do in the Shadows. Ex- playing yeah. Wesley Snipes, who was in the Blade movie, which would mean that Blade, the movie... Never mind. I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> that makes sense, though. Um, I, but I was, I was just like, huh, that's an interesting observation. I wish it was in the MCU. Yes. He, uh, Wesley actually had a huge 2002, y'all. Hey, all right, good for you. He had uh, Blade Two. He also had Undisputed. He had Liberty Hill Stand. And he, Liberty, Liberty Stand Still. And he also finished it out with Zigzag. What so, four films. Smoothies. I've not heard of any of these. Yeah. So, Zigzag in 2002, a drama indie film starring Wesley Snipes, John Leguizamo. Hey. Uh, 
Natasha Leone. Hey. Sam Jones the third. Hey. Oliver Platt and Luke Goss. Hey. Luke Goss. That yeah. might, that might have to be our next film. And in Liberty Stand Still, which sounds like a TNT movie. Here it is, Oliver. Boy. <laughs> Oliver Platt is an, uh, an Aaron's boy. I know that Oliver Platt has to be a Mia's boy. Uh, I have to Google Oliver Platt. Hold on. He was also in Liberty Stand Still. Lord, Linda Fiorentino. Hey. Leslie Snipes. Hey. Hart Bachner. Hey. Oliver Platt and Tanya Allen. Wait, he did two movies with Oliver Platt that year? Yep. Right on. All right. So far that, that I've seen. We haven't established what the cast list is for Zigzag. Oh, no, that, he's from Zigzag Working was the Girl. first one. Sorry, not Zigzag. Uh, the, the third film. What, what is it? Undisputed. Undisputed, yes. Where he fights Oliver Platt. Uh, Wesley Snipes, Ving Rhames, Peter Falk, Michael Rooker. Hey. Fisher Stevens. Hey. Fisher and Stevens. Ed Lover. No Oliver Platt. No Oliver Platt. So two for two out of two films in 2002. Sure. Uh, so Blade 2 is basically his biggest movie for this. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's... Like doing, but man, John Leguizamo. I like that guy. He's a good. He's an interesting guy. He's a good sloth, and I see. Fact. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so he had a pretty big, uh, pretty big, 2002. Oh, just busy 2002, rather I should say. But yeah, so he was contracted for other films, uh, where they got a good chunk of the film done, mm-hmm. and had uh, just. Blade's uh, stand-in come in for uh, some shoots. Starting to exhibit some of that behavior that we're going to talk about uh, probably at length in the Blade Tree Today episode. Oh, snap. If there's anything (sighs) that I am drawn to, it's drama that I'm not a part of. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's pretty bad in Blade 3. He... uh, this is why we're talking. We're we're talking and, and and praising the joy that is Wesley Snipes because other actors get to be this kind of diva actor. But it's a bad thing when Wesley does the same things that other actors have done, probably far more. And also, Wesley is one of the creative contributors and kind of helped bring Marvel out of bankruptcy. Oof. Well, I'm I'm very intrigued to to discuss it next episode yes i i mean if it wasn't for wesley snipes single-handedly uh, if it wasn't for wesley snipes single he had no help whatsoever i mean <laughs> <laughs> kind of cl- i mean if wesley hadn't taken it so seriously and put as much time and effort into blade yeah that and helped give david s goyer his you know make goyer's thing come goyer's script come to life and put so much longevity into it marvel wouldn't have legs to stand on yeah so i mean okay we're just gonna say blade trinity does turn into a mess there's a, a, a wrestler who's in it as well which to me 
Anytime you have a wrestler in it, you're kind of asking for trouble because it's already uh, no uh, uh, Triple H mm, plays in it. Leon's owns the wrestler. Anyways, go on. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're, you're kind of just you're, it. It starts to lose a little bit of credibility, um, and it just it, it gets a little slippery. But a lot of the stuff was, hey, I you know I know what's been working. And they also have a, a lot of star power because there's a lot of great names in this one as well. Ron Perlman, uh, Donnie Yen, of course, but they're not stars. Yeah. I, I think Ron Perlman probably has the most credit at this point. Maybe. If. He's a character actor more than anything at this point. Right. Uh, he, yeah. You've seen him the most and stuff. He he becomes a bigger bigger star, uh, shoot in Hellboy. I mean, ostensibly, I think the biggest star next to Wesley Snipes would probably be Chris Christopherson. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, where they just spend the first thirty minutes of that movie bringing him back from the dead, and then uh, if I if 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 I remember correctly, like he almost dies again at the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. yeah just, ugh, they couldn't even cut Whistler a break. Like here he is trying to help his friend blade um, and on his mission. And then all these other vampires are giving him shit. Like ugh, justice for Whistler. What is, what is the function of having Whistler back? Cause so much of the movie is bogged down. And again, I like this movie. I, I, this is also my favorite Blade movie, um, but so much of it is bogged down by let's, we got to bring Whistler back. And the problem with movies where you bring characters back from the dead, which Whistler ostensibly was, even though he was kind of a vampire, kind of in stasis, kind of like it was a little bit muddled. When you do narratives like that, it's. The, the tension kind of evaporates because you're going, well, you could just bring them back as opposed to uh, Endgame where you spend the entire movie bringing characters back to life and they risk everything that they have. People like people get lost. They, they die on their quest because to bring these people back. My go-to example was Star Trek Three. I'm sorry, guys. Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. Bringing um, I, I think what the he was a plot device more so than anything in this one. I think it was just to help illustrate who can you trust, kind of thing. Like, yeah. Like I, I think that's the only reason to bring him back, and then just because it's Chris Christopherson, and there's not a ton of star power in it, and you just if. If you have the opportunity to put a national park in your film, you got to do it. Yeah. You take that opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. We st- it's a uh, we we stand state parks. Yeah. We um, do. We do. We, we do. You got that Eddie energy. <laughs> it's a uh, it's yeah, it, it's definitely my favorite Blade film. But it's, I think because it's the most, yeah, it's the most stylized. It's, it's so, it's, it's the odd. It's made it, by the odd director. <laughs> yeah. Also, 
I, I miss my Boo Deacon Frost. That was the that was another thing. I just I liked this movie, but I missed my Boo. <laughs> I mean, there's there's not a lot of eye candy. Ron Perlman, but that might just be a me thing. That might uh, be bun. Um, uh, the dude with the big hammer, maybe. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't pay attention too closely. We uh, the the big hammer is kind of cool. Like I think that's an odd choice for a weapon, but kind of cool. What? Um, it it you you it's a, you're real slow. Unless you get the hammer in Super Smash Brothers. True. Then you're real fast. Um, if I could counter, it's a big hammer. Yeah, but by the time you take to pick it up, yeah, put it around your head. Right. It's a big hammer, though. He has to have his arms, though, like if you're going to be like lifting. You got to be jacked. Yeah, you got to yeah. get a hammer. You, you need big hammer energy if you want to bring around a big hammer. Yeah. B-H-E. Let's make that. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh not and may- maybe priest. He was kind of cool looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean Wesley. Wesley's pro- Wesley's always the eye candy in every film. But it's just. Uh, He's got so much like cool like attitude to it too. So it's just like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you're not you're not bringing Zaddy energy. You're like you're like bringing like Wesley energy. Yeah. And like I, I have to have some like capa- capacity. Yeah, some bladeitude. <laughs> there we go. I like that, Kenny. Um, and fun fact: Ron Perlman is never seen without his sunglasses in this film. Awesome. We stand somebody who knows how to accessorize. Yeah. Amen. Even when he was burned alive by the UV rays, which also, fun fact, 30 cast and crew members were partially blind during that UV ray scene. Oh my gosh. Did they ever recover? Yeah, they soon recovered, but they, they needed to take like a one week hiatus just because they were partially blind. Holy wow. shit. Yeah. That uh, that's how certainly sounded like a rotten time. Uh uh, are we getting close to Rotten Tomatoes? I think it's about that time, folks. It's time to play this podcast's fa- second favorite game uh, next to uh, the Stats and the Furious and maybe the, uh, shoot, what was the Sandler who, game? Oh, I thought it was who Olivia's thirsting over this week. <laughs> okay. Well, it's time to play this podcast's fourth favorite game. It was game. The Rotten Tomatoes game is based off the website Rotten Tomatoes, a film review aggregator that takes all submitted film reviews, averages them out by a pass-fail system that assigns a percentage on how many people might think a movie is either fresh or rotten. This is not a score that a film is X percent good. It's only a score of how many people liked it. I will ask our panelists uh, for two numbers, one being the critical approval rating of Blade 2, as well as the audience approval rating, and giving me a guess without going under what the actual score is. Now, uh, Aaron, Olivia... Uh, if you could pick up uh, your closest piece of media and put your hand on it and swear that you have not seen these scores before playing this game. I haven't seen these scores before playing this game. 
I have not seen the scores before playing this game. Outstanding. Uh, out of 151 critical reviews, uh, starting with uh, Miss Olivia Deacon Frost Thirst Trap Suarez. Thank you. Um, and this is the critical, right? The critical score. I, I feel like this movie, maybe 45%. 45%. Yeah, I feel oh. like. I feel like sequels are really hard to, really hard to just do. I mean, if it's not The Godfather Part Two or something equivalent to that, like, I, I think also you something could be said about Wesley Snipes and Blade's character development. Like, there's really not a lot going on there, and so I feel like they kind of honed in on that. Maybe some people noticed that. Maybe there was supposed to be more with Nisa, and they cut that out too. Mm -hmm. Maybe some people just didn't dig Del Toro, which is a total shame. So I'm leaning on 45%. 45% is what Olivia says. Uh, Aaron, do you want a number? I'm going to say a different number, Kenny. Wow. Uh, <gasps> old choice. Let's see if the strategy pays off. I think Olivia's too high. Whoa. Uh. Because yeah, you're right. I I, I want to say forty two. Forty two. I'm going. I'm going just under, only because I think, like you said, like when you go to a sequel, like okay, they're gonna fall in love, and they they didn't fall in love, so I think it kind of like doesn't the your appetite isn't satiated just yet. Mm -hmm. Like it's and it's weird, and you're like you could walk in there and be like that was not a vampire movie. You're like no, it's a Del Toro vampire movie, and you're not gonna get what you came in for. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be 42 just because those expectations were a little off. Uh, so 42% from Aaron, 45% from Olivia, uh, panelists, your pessimism has not paid off. The correct answer is uh, 7%. Oh Wait, my gosh. 57%. Whoa. Okay. Semistic. Don't ever underestimate the staying power of Wesley Snipes and Blade. Sorry, Wesley. Uh, my bad. Of course, as we've established in previous Rotten Tomatoes game, the person that has uh, guessed under the most needs to pay $30. Uh, audience score out of 450,758 audience ratings. Starting with one, Mr. Aaron Salinas. What do you think the audience score is for Blade 2, directed by Guillermo del Toro? I want to say 76. 76%. Yeah, I, I think the people who liked it probably came out saying that was... That was cool. They said it just like that. that yeah, cool. Just like that. As they walked out of the theater and into the sunlight. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're the day watchers. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's outstanding. Uh, Olivia. I'm going to say 66%. Because what, what Aaron said, minus 10. What Aaron said, minus 10. Uh, well, Olivia, you're in for good news uh, because Aaron has won this one without going under, and your good news is that you're just a really great friend. Uh, oh, thanks. The correct answer is 68%. Aaron, you're closest without going under. Oh, my gosh. I was so close. <laughs> Man, they, were, they just wanted to get it to 69, if we're being honest. That's Let's, the only reason. You know what? Maybe... Okay, I have a question. So I know we've talked about what the Rotten Tomatoes score is, but is that like updated? 
You know what I mean? Like, as more people are watching it and reviewing it, or is this like a snapshot of all the aggregate reviews from that time period? Uh, for the critical score, that's for all critics that are Rotten Tomatoes approved. So that score could definitely be getting updated as we go along. And the audience score, I think that's just from people that use Rotten Tomatoes and go, man, I need to go rank Blade too. So that's from me. Those numbers are from me pulling those numbers uh, at one o'clock today. Okay. I was just curious because like, I mean, usually I'm pretty sure that maybe they would stay within the same range as when they initially, when the film initially came out. But I, I know that like things can change and, and films can become cult classics too. They can, and so it's true. I, I was just curious on as to how that uh, worked. See Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Cool. True. And the video game is a lot of fun. Yeah. Ooh, did not know that was a video game. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just have one question for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Is the enemy of my enemy, my friend or my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's too good. Standing. Uh, any any final thoughts, folks, on uh, on Blade Two, Guillermo del Toro's take on um, Marvel cinema uh, in Marvel comics? I'll say D lister, maybe C lister, uh, Blade. Mm, just uh, Deacon, I miss you, and I understand why you're away. You know, he died. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Wessler died, but but not in the way that that Deacon died. Wait, Whistler died in this movie? He died in the first one. He died in the first. Okay, one. okay, I knew he died in the first one, but I was like, don't tell me I missed something when I was covering <laughs> my eyes. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I don't know. All I got was daddy issues in the third act. <laughs> Strong daddy issues. Zaddy issues. Uh, Kenny, any final thoughts on uh, on Blade? No. Two? All right. Uh, fantastic work, y'all. Um, that is going to conclude this episode of Blade 2. Uh, give me two seconds while I get the copy. So that's been our episode of Shame Watch, y'all. Thank you, you to Denise Hudson. Oh, that's good, too. <laughs> That has been our episode of Blade Watch. Thank you to Denise Hudson for our rocking theme song and to James Garcia for our artwork and that lovely review you gave us as well, James. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, as a white man, it always feels good to have someone else say that I'm doing enough to be an owl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Bar and cleared it. So I appreciate that so much. <laughs> don't forget to rate review and subscribe to shame watch on spotify apple podcasts and wherever you podcasts are found have suggestions questions comments or just general tomfoolery you want to contribute to the pod send it our way visit us on instagram twitter or facebook at shame watch pod so we can talk with you finally you can contribute to our patreon at patreon.com uh backslash shame watch it doesn't cut co- it does cost money to put out superb contact like this pod so even a $1 donation can make a huge difference. Until next time, folks, our watch has now ended. You got to read the names. Oh, shoot. Uh, now, uh, what we uh, always do for uh, every episode, we never miss it without a beat, uh, is never. 
Ever. Listing out our patrons. Uh, so first up, we have Kenny Madison from Austin, Texas. Uh, Aaron O. Salinas from Austin, Texas. Gene Fight from Bowling Green, Ohio. Alan Smith from Leander, Texas. Bradley McPherson from Tulsa. Okay. We have Jen Steinberg from Austin, Texas. Ed Ocleo Gonzalez Jr. from The Room Across the Way in Austin, Texas. Ian Keegan from Gillette, Wyoming. Danny Cantu from San Marcos, Texas. Miranda Suarez from San Marcos, Texas. Irene Suarez from Austin, Te- from San Antonio, Texas. And Nolan Barger from Austin, Texas. Kenny, thanks for uh, giving me a quick reminder on that. Hey, and I appreciate that, bud. Until next time, folks, our watch has now ended. Dive at your own risk. Uh, big hammer energy. Yeah. <laughs>